everyone, welcome back to the I Should Totally Be Dead Right Now podcast, where we tell true stories of survivors of true crime, natural disasters, and everything else in between. How's it going, Michelle? Uh, it's going awesome. Great. One, we have a kick-ass drink, and two, I have a kick-ass story. Oh! So I'm hella excited. I was like, double trouble? Is that... Well, now. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, drink was actually a suggestion. Oh, by Amy of Wisconsin That's fame, right. if That's I right. recall correctly. Mm-hmm. This is the pineapple upside down cake, mm-hmm. and it does taste. Oh, it does taste a lot of like. Oh my god, uh, maybe I should not have had three of them slash four. Whatever. It does taste a lot like cake. <laughs> not even gonna try to say the whole fucking thing again. Yeah. Maybe you tell us what's in it, Kaylin, because sure I thing. can't. <laughs> well, Michelle made it, but I. Uh... Amy provided the recipe, so thank you, Amy. Yeah, so it's uh, two ounces of pineapple juice, uh, two ounces of, you're supposed to do cake vodka, but we had whipped vodka, so, and it tastes the same pretty much. I was like, still delicious. Yeah. Still very drinkable. Yeah. (laughs) So two ounces of that, you shake it up with some ice in a shaker, pour it over a teaspoon of grenadine, and there you go. Boom. That's it. Yeah. It's Pop very, a cherry in there, and yeah. you're ready to go. It's very pretty. It's very cute. It's very sweet, though. Yeah. It's I feel like sweet. I'm going to be hungover in about two hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have some more work to do today, but... Good luck. Yeah. It's going to be nap time Yeah, instead. right? <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for the suggestion, Amy. We I know. appreciate it. Once more, I, you nailed it. Right? God damn it, Amy. I do love pineapple, so... Mm-hmm. I know. Right. Pineapple upside down cake is like my mother's favorite cake oh, yeah? of all time. Oh, yeah? Oh, very so cool. we always make it for her in the like the cast iron pan, mm-hmm. you know, where you melt the butter and the brown sugar and mm-hmm. the pineapple and the whole thing. Mm. Nick's grandparents and mom usually make that for me for my birthday. Oh, it's very cute. It's yummy. It is very tasty. It's old school, but man, it's worth it. Yeah, I love it. It is. Well, all right. I think you're uh, gonna kick us off with a kick-ass story. Of course. Is it gonna be as kick-ass as mine? Maybe. Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> You talk a big game, Michelle. I know. You're going to be like, what? <laughs> no, it's fine. No. This, uh, my story, I'm going to get back to it for a second. Okay. Uh, it's a little close to my heart. Oh, okay. In a very kind of not really way. So, on to you, Caitlin. This is just like last time. I know. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, that's okay. <laughs> Michelle, you're fired. Uh, all right. This <laughs> story is about Jacob Madej. And it is late May in 2018, mm-hmm. and Jacob is 20 years old and a native to Poland. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He is actually traveling all over the world and is now in Johannesburg, Africa. Oh, shoot. He's way in South Africa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's at a hostel this day, and a Russian man told him to be careful because he was robbed of all of his belongings, his wallet and passport, like... Just be careful. You know? And he probably just recently watched Hostel, the movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, ugh, that movie traumatized that ruined me. Tr- European travel for me forever, I think. It really... There's just some scenes, like, with his uh, Achilles heel. Oh. Do you remember? Oh, <laughs> yes, I know. Sorry, exactly. everyone. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> that <laughs> always plays in my mind when I hear that. Back to uh, Jacob and his Hostel. Yeah. So Jacob, you know... Listened and acknowledged, like, yeah, of course, I'll be careful. But he still went on his way. He walked an hour and Mm. took a stroll in the business district of Johannesburg. Okay, okay. So he was dressed in a white V-neck t-shirt and blue jeans. So nothing like, you know. Out of the ordinary. Yeah. He was just chilling for a chill day. 
He was near the Carlton Center, which is a 50-story tall shopping center. Oh. So, populated place. That sounds fun. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Jacob w- had all his belongings in a black leather bag, and he was uh, had his headphones in listening to podcasts. It was not ours. I checked, but... <laughs> whatever (laughs) end of story but then he had an uneasy feeling like something was Mm. not quite right at this time now it's like 4 p.m but then jacob notices four men trailing behind him oh i don't love that and the men are about 10 meters away which i don't know how many feet that is so it's like 30 feet okay perfect like meters to feet boom i can make that conversion i gotta do it all the time (laughs) Oh, yeah? Okay. All my shit's in meters. It's the way, apparently. Yeah, for everyone except the U.S. Yeah. All right. This situation seemed familiar to him because he was actually mugged six years ago in Poland. Oh, shoot. So So he kind of... He has some experience with the nefarious side of crime. So Jacob looked over his shoulder, and one of the men was actually charging at him now. (laughs) 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 That's scary. He states, my instinct was that I should fight or something. He grabbed me by my t-shirt. There are four of them in total, and I was defenseless. So my instinct was to shout for help and try to knock him down to the ground. Mm. Unfortunately, he could not knock him down. But his adrenaline kicks in very quickly. So Jacob does not remember much of the interaction. It was kind of a blur. He picked up Um, a car and like threw it at him. (laughs) That's what happened. So he tried to push the mugger off, is what he remembered, and tried to scream, but no one came to help. Everyone's probably, like, inside, like, oh, just keep looking down. Yeah. Didn't happen. Probably. So he was struggling. Probably, like, New York. Yeah, right? So he was struggling with his first attacker, the first attacker, and then the next three approach. Then, all of a sudden, he sees blood. Oh. His own? Probably. Yeah. (laughs) He was bleeding profusely. From his wrist and abdomen. He didn't even see a knife or feel being stabbed or cut, but he sure was. Oh my gosh. Then all the men flee with only his headphones. They didn't even get his bag. And so losing blood fast, Jacob knows that he has to do something or he would die of blood loss. Seems like these guys, I mean, if you're looking at a per hour basis, you know, where... They got a set of headphones. Uh It's four dudes. Yeah. Are they going to split that maybe like 20 bucks among all of them? I mean, it just doesn't seem like a good investment of your time. Yeah. Idiots. Uh, (laughs) Well put, Caitlin. Thank you. So he started to panic and just started running in the streets with his shirt tied around his wrist. Because that's the one that was bleeding bleeding the the most. most. Jacob ran up to dozens of people asking for an ambulance, but no one helped. (sighs) Jacob was getting angry because he was literally dying, losing so much blood. (laughs) Everyone's like, "Mm, no, sorry. The only explanation that he heard was that people might have been afraid of helping because they thought that they would be accused of what, why he was bleeding. Oh, so maybe. I know, but come uh, after Johannesburg is pretty rough, and my understanding is that it's pretty oppressive to mm. some of the populations there That's and so bad. it's yeah it's a pretty tough area it's my understanding sad day but after several minutes of running and shouting jacob's vision began to blur due oh. to all the blood loss. i was gonna say is it because he's just dripping blood everywhere <laughs> yeah so he sat down on a bench and slowly faded into unconsciousness oh. so now he's just unconscious on a bench oh my god so now bleeding out yeah. So now Lottie Arnold, and a recent graduate of medical school, and her fiancé, Malcolm Dreger, um, are taking a cab to lunch. And then they see Jacob slumped on a bench, bleeding. 
Malcolm nudges Lottie to go check and see if maybe she can offer some help. Mm. Uh, so there is now a crowd of people around him, and a police officer actually tells Lottie that help is coming. So she's like, okay, well, maybe I will take a look just to see if I can help while we wait for the ambulance to get here. So she lays Jacob on the pavement and rises his legs up to send more blood to his brain. Mm. And then she had other bystanders put pressure on his wounds. My goodness, she's go. taking command of the scene. So he comes to and sees Lottie helping him, and he asked her to write down his parents' number just in case they need it later. <sighs> I know, right? Oh my gosh. But now, since he's awake, his mood has actually improved, and he regained his consci- consciousness and vision. Okay, okay. Jacob even started making jokes. Hell yeah, Jacob. <laughs> Lottie was asking him questions to keep him awake and seeing if he knew what happened. He's like, yeah, of course I know what happened. And uh, and he He's was like, asking, it was those a-holes over there. Yeah, He was asking people to tell him jokes, but no one did. But, you know, he was trying to keep it, keep it going. Uh, it took 30 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. Thank goodness for Lottie. I know, seriously. <laughs> so Lottie and Malcolm actually accompanied Jacob to the hospital. Aww. And they even uh, stayed with him until he was able to check out. Wow. So Jacob underwent surgery and he survived. That is when they found out that he actually, his that his radial artery was actually cut. And that's a major artery in the arm. Oh, and I was going to say, is that his wrist yes that was uh-huh. cut so if it was severely wounded he would have bled out in minutes oh so it looks like it just got nicked, nicked. yeah mm-hmm. oh he's he got lucky. really lucky yeah oh my goodness he was in the hospital for two days so lottie and malcolm were there for the two days wow and this is where Stephanie Baker comes into play. Okay, okay. So, Welcome, Stephanie, to hello. the story. Stephanie Baker is also 20 years old, and she heard about the stabbing and actually knew Jacob. Okay. Uh, they were Facebook friends, and they knew each other when she was a counselor. Oh. So they were kind of like the acquaintances, like, I know you, you know, not like friends' friends, but Facebook friends. You right. know what that means? Yeah. I do know what that <laughs> means. I have quite a few of those yeah. when I was on Facebook. Right. So she actually lives in Johannesburg and offered him to live with her until he fully recovers. Oh, my goodness. I know. She could not imagine going through that, especially in a foreign country all by himself. Yeah. When Jacob was leaving the hospital, Stephanie was surprised of how optimistic he was. He talked about how friendly the staff was and even if this and even the staff said if Stephanie would didn't show up, they would take him home with them. Oh, um, probably Lottie and Malcolm would have. Is it Lottie and Malcolm? Do I have that yeah, right? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Even the nurses and doctors were apologizing of, you know, that this happened to him. And Johannesburg is actually not that bad. Oh but Jacob sounds like someone I want to hang out with. I know, with. right? Stephanie states he kept on saying how well he had been treated and how he couldn't wait to come back to South Africa. <sighs> Almost to the point where I thought, dude, do you realize you've been stabbed? Or do you think that was <laughs> you a dream? you understand what happened to you yeah. here? <laughs> but Jacob believes that this incident actually taught him more about human kindness. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. You're amazing. I know. He has such a positive outlook on everything that, he, like, he was on his deathbed pretty much. Mm. And he's still like, everything's going to be fine. Amazing. But Jacob, actually, when he recovered, he actually continued on his travels. Mm. Went to Rwanda, then to Uganda, India, Singapore, Japan, South Korea, and then back to Portland. Poland. Wow. I was back like, whoa, I forgot he was from Portland. No. <laughs> 
Poland, sorry. <laughs> back to Poland. And yeah, so he had no issues, you know, continuing on his travels, but dang. I, yeah. I do wonder how much his optimism and happiness lent to his recovery. Yeah. I just, I've read The Happiness Advantage, which is a really interesting book about hmm. when you're happy, you just see so many more opportunities around you oh. than when you're sad. Like, you just plain don't see them when you're not feeling happy. I could and, see that. Um, it's just really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and they say people who are optimistic and happy tend to just bounce back from, you know, tragedies mm. or whatever, you know, getting mugged in the middle of your travels. Right. You know, you're able to kind of come back from it much easier right. than people who are unhappy. Just be happy. Yeah. Just God damn it. How hard is that? <laughs> Fucking assholes. As you're crying, crying. The I know. <laughs> always fucking crying <laughs> you know i should try it more often <laughs> no it's true i feel like when you're in a good mood like everything just seems i can pop up up everything yeah, like, sort of great, lines great, up great. for you i don't know i have anxiety so it's like when can my mind rest actually I don't <laughs> never know. never but... no they did an experiment that they talked about and i apologize if i've talked about this already oh. but in that they um they showed one the control group they didn't show him anything. And okay. then they got a um, magazine or it was like a newspaper or something like that. Okay. And they were just told to read through it. Okay. And then they showed people like a funny video. Uh -huh. And then they were given the same newspaper to read through. Okay. And there was a huge freaking like advertisement in the middle. I mean, they made the newspaper. So right, it was there. Okay. It says, if you see this, we will give you $20. And only the people from the happy group saw it. The control group? The, no, oh. no one in the control group who weren't shown the happy video uh -huh. before oh. they were sent in to read this newspaper. None of, none of them saw it. Only the people who, like, they watched a cat video or something stupid. Well, like, of course. Something just something to make stupid, them. Michelle. I know. I apologize. <laughs> Quite well said, Caitlin. Put me in my place. They watched a cat video and it was hilarious. <laughs> and it just made them happy. And those were the people who saw the advertisement. Huh. So it was just, so that was how they were trying to sort of show that happiness. Yeah. You see more opportunities. That's really interesting. Huh. So be happy. So, so be happy. <laughs> there we go. But uh, yeah, I mean, well, good job, Jacob, to keep optimistic and positive and i'm glad only it took two days man that's, that's i know incredible. for having sort of mortal wounds yeah my goodness oh poor thing all right all right michelle mortal wounds more <laughs> more of them all right <laughs> okay so i'm taking us back to may of 2015 okay so uh the story is about doug april uh -huh. and uh his friend ian Capelle. Mm -hmm. Capelle. Oh, God. She no, brought sorry. it out. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> so, uh, Doug was finishing up a six-month stint as a camp host in Waco Tanks State Park. Okay. Uh, at this point, he's living by himself in an RV. He's a 46-year-old who's divorced, uh, and he's got three kids, and his youngest is in junior high. Okay. Uh, at this point, he had served two tour of duties in Iraq. Wow. Um, where he saw plenty of things he wanted to forget. But what he did find that climbing, uh, rock climbing, mm -hmm. was a refuge for him. Oh, okay. Like, he could just go out and just concentrate on what was in front of him. 
on climbing up all these crazy rock faces and could just sort of ignore all the other crap that was going on in his life. Okay. And so he just found a lot of peace in rock climbing. So Doug's time at the park was coming to a close. He had actually just left the army three weeks earlier. Oh, okay. Retiring as a major, but he wasn't through with war zones. He was actually going to be headed back to Afghanistan in three months to do to fly some reconnaissance missions oh, for wow. a private military contractor. Hmm. So he really wanted to make the most out of his days that he had left for climbing. Oh, okay. So he was just going to try to get in a lot of climbs. A little self-therapy. Yeah, exactly. Be able to shut the world Mm -hmm. off and just go be with nature. So around 8 a.m., Doug's climbing partner, Ian, pulled up to the campsite. Ian is a 38-year-old geologist who had just moved to Hmm. El Paso with his wife, Melinda. While Ian was out climbing one day, he had actually met Doug. And so they sort of became buddies right away oh, okay. and had been climbing together ever since. Sweet. So Ian, who is burly and bearded. Oh. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that noise was, but I feel good about it. He didn't necessarily look the part of a climber, uh, but as soon as he's tried rock climbing, he was hooked right away. So he regarded Doug as kind of a big brother, someone who helped him Mm. learn more about rock climbing he was a much more experienced climber and so he learned a lot from doug so he was just very thankful to have him along with them so they were sort of like what should we do today like what specific climb should we go traverse yeah (laughs) so ian was like well you've done indecent exposure a couple times but i never have Mm. And so I would like to do that. Wait, what? Yes. Okay. So Indecent Exposure is the name of this particular rock climbing adventure. Okay. And the reason they call it that is because while it's not the most difficult rock climbing in Waco tanks, it's probably the most intimidating. And that's because there's two areas in it where you rock climb out onto like, they call it a pitch. Uh But you, it's two sections where you have to go way out, and so you're hanging, like, above nothing. Oh. Like, you, it's sort of, the rock comes way out, Uh and so you have to, you have to climb out on the rock. Does that make sense? So, yes, I believe so. It's just way out, and you're, there's nothing below you. Right, okay. So, you're, and they're, like, 225 feet up, so it's just, like, just pure... Yeah, open nothing. air. Okay, so, okay, okay. I.e., Michelle's worst nightmare. And not rock climbing naked. No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> well put, Kaylin. Thank you. Hey, we don't judge here. We don't. No, no, no. I mean, so, okay. So Doug kind of was like, uh, actually, this particular climb, indecent exposure, uh-huh. uh, gave him the heebie-jeebies, and oh. it was just because of these two pitches that were way far out that left you just hanging over nothing. Right. But they decided to do it. And they knew it was going to be their last climb in a long time, so they wanted to make it a memorable one. Oh, okay. I'm sure they did. Yeah, they fucking nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) So the day was beautiful. The sun was just right. The breeze was perfect. So what they were going to do is Ian was going to lead the first half of the climb, Uh and then Doug was going to lead the second half of the climb. Okay. Ian and uh, Doug were tethered together and for safety and they had two lines connecting them in which they would like belay 
the ropes, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think is like sort of loosening it so you can go ahead. Okay. And, you know, when you belay down a hill, my understanding is you just sort of, that's when they sort of bounce down the hill with the ropes. I see. I Do you see. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so pretty end of story is they have harnesses that keep them together and if one falls it will break the fall right so there are some safety measures so ian led the way he clipped the rope onto the metal metal anchors that were actually already drilled into the rock and so 20 minutes into the climb uh they ended up seeing a memorial plaque for someone who had previously died on this exact climb uh, so they silently paid their respects and just kept moving. Okay. Kind of keeping that in mind, though. Right. It was just like, dangerous eh, yeah, this is a dangerous climb. He made the ledge um, that marked the end of the pitch, and he attached himself to the neck anchor. And then Doug followed along, and then they paused there for a little bit of a moment's rest. So at this point, they're over 120 feet up so in the like air. So halfway? Yeah, and they're halfway okay. through. They've already been over the first, like, exposed area i see exposed area one down okay so now doug is gonna take over the lead of the climb so the hardest section of the climb really came early on he had to make a huge step to his right Mm -hmm. and followed by a few feet of slim fingertip toe edges where they really had to like cling on to the side of the rock and sort of make their way down and then he was able to sort of jump down onto this big rock that was sitting there they Hmm, called it a big flake of a rock about the size of a refrigerator oh okay so he's like he lands after sort of jumping over this chasm Uh And he calls back and he's like, that was awesome. Like, I just made this incredible jump. You know, like, did you see? That was great. You know, so he's calling back. And then he's like, like slapping his neck. He's like, where did all these bugs come from? Oh. And in the next moment, this swarm (gasps) of bees comes up from underneath the rock that he had just landed on and just completely covers him. Oh, my gosh. So... The swarm enveloped him in an instant. This is not where I thought he was going. <laughs> I know. We all thought he was going to fall yeah, or something. Yeah, I was something. waiting for a, a drop. No, no. This is all about bees. Ah! So they were stinging him over and over and over. And he just said the pain was spreading across his neck and his face and over his whole body. So regular honeybees are pretty territorial. And uh-huh. in my experience, that's what I usually get stung by. Right. Is, you know, just baby oh. honeybees. Right. Which fucking sucks enough yeah but these were africanized bees which um are much more aggressive so i actually it turns out that these african bees africanized bees actually came from brazil they were produced down there so Uh they could increase honey production and they ended up getting out and making their way to the americas wow and here they are in texas and apparently this is a good spot for them hmm So when Africanized bees sense a threat, they don't just send out a couple bees like honeybees do. Okay. Like honeybees will send out a few sort of guards. Uh And if they sting you, then, yeah, you might be in trouble because they sort of send out a pheromone that says we need to attack this thing Uh over here. But these Africanized bees just swarm. They just send hordes of bees out to attack whatever the threat is. And Doug was our threat. So any threat, it's like, just send them all. Yeah. 
just Kill send it. out half the hive. Yeah. We're gonna, you know, because probably these hives have forty thousand or plus bees in them. Ugh, you know, so right. he had thousands of bees just covering them all over. Wow. Since the nineteen fifties, swarms of Africanized bees have been responsible for more than a thousand deaths, and wow. so that's why they're called killer bees. Oh. Um. Those so, are called killer bees. Is the African? Yeah, Africanized bees. Are Africanized. The bees. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I don't know why they're called Africanized. I think they were originally from Africa, and then the folks from Brazil brought them over. I see, I see. I.e., very aggressive. Right. But create a lot of honey, so yay. <laughs> um, the moment after the bees swarmed, Ian is, like, watching in horror, and he sees Doug, like, jump off the <gasps> ledge, and he feels the the jerk of the tension of the rope uh-huh. um, as Doug's weight, like, sort of hits the bottom of the rope that he had. <gasps> so he just, like, he just out. went for it. And so he heard Doug yelling, lower me, lower me, lower me. Like, go, uh-huh. go, go, go. And so Ian is trying to get as much rope out as he can yeah. so Doug can, like, get as far down. And it's just, like, the rope is just ripping through all of their pulleys. Like, <gasps> as fast as it can. Okay. Um and then because Ian was sort of out on a perch a little bit, mm-hmm. Doug disappeared. Oh, like he went down and he couldn't tell where he went. And so and that's when Ian felt the first bee sort of saw it come over and he just figured if he maybe just stood still that the the bee would ignore him and yeah. just move on its way and no, that was not the case. Oh gosh. The first one just came at him, stung him in the neck, and then more kind. Like right, and all they... of a sudden it was just like one, two, three, four, and he <gasps> just had all these stings. Because all when once. uh they sting, don't they give up a hair a pheromone to like Yep, that's exactly okay. it's like you need to attack this thing right. over here. Oh my gosh. And so all Ian could do was try to cover his face and all he could hear was this buzzing, buzzing. like this high pitched uh. whine that drowned out everything else. And the bees were attacking his ears and his nose and his mouth and just oh everything. Oh my gosh. So his mind was just like racing. Why was Doug still have tension on the rope? Uh-huh. Why hadn't he like completely finished and so left the rope clear so yeah. he could start using that same rope to get down. But he realized that Doug was still hanging there <gasps> and was just sort of like dead weight on Ugh. the end of this rope. So he stood, Ian stood on the slim ledge and ended up trying to like suck water out of his climbing bottle, um, mm-hmm. desperate to stay hydrated, which would sort of stave off the effects of the venom. Oh, and okay, so, okay. And he's just thinking, what do I do? What do I do? And so he tried to, like, reach up and brush the bees, Uh like, off of his head. And he felt this sort of halo of insects that were an inch thick on him. So he was just completely covered in bees. Okay. And he's like, what do I do? Do I call my wife? Do I tell her I love her? Yeah. He's like, what if I drop the phone? I mean, it's just like pure craziness. And so, and then uh, all this time, the toxins are just coursing through his bloodstream. And at a certain point, sort of the panic stopped and he had this strange sense of calm. Oh. Yeah, which is probably not a good sign. Yeah, that's not good at all. And he was like, all he could think of is how sorry he was that he was going to be leaving his wife this way. And and so everything just sort of squeezed down to a pinprick, and then he blacked out. 
Oh my gosh. So there he is. He's slumped on this rocky ledge, completely blacked out, covered in beasts. Holy cow. So that's where we leave Ian. Oh, oh my gosh. So now let's get back to Doug. Oh my gosh. He okay. is suspended in midair, uh-huh. if you recall. Yeah. He's about he's about six feet away from the wall and about sixty feet from the ground. Oh my gosh. At this, yeah. So okay, he, so yeah, he's just dangling. He's just dangling. And he's been stuck like that for about ten minutes and the bees this entire time have not stopped singing. Him. Oh. So he's trying to yell up to Ian to untie the rope. Yeah. But as we know, Ian is now covered in bees and is slowly passing out. Yeah. So he he couldn't hear anything yeah and neither of them could hear really each, each other, other at or all. see yeah over Ugh. all these freaking bees everywhere he said all they could hear was a deafening buzz so after so many stings doug's body became numb to the pain oh so well, i guess that's very good he had bees climbing all over him but at the point at that point sting was hardly registered Mm. And one flew into his mouth. He could sort of feel the <gasps> vibratingness of it. And the, um, but he just, and he said it had a slight flowery taste. Um, oh. And he just spit it out. So I guess even after just a few stings, even after just a dozen stings, yeah, people can experience vertigo and nausea and even convulsions and fainting. Holy cow. And at this point, Doug had been stung hundreds of times. Oh my God. So he just pulled his ball cap over his face uh-huh. and tried to think of a way out. He's just like, I gotta come up with a plan. Doug had always been able to sort of keep his head in a bad situation. Well, that's good. Um, he had crashed a helicopter before. He had oh. seen men die in combat. Jeez. And no matter the danger, he was sort of able to flick a switch in his brain that says, I'm not feeling pain anymore. I just, or I'm not feeling fear anymore. Uh-huh. I just need to figure out what needs to be done. Okay. So he had to figure out a way to get down. Right. That was clear. Where he was on the mountain, I guess there was a, quite a few ways that he could have gotten down. So he spotted an anchor that was part of another route and swung himself over. Uh-huh. I'm sure it took more than one try to oh, sort sure. of get some momentum and actually be able to swing enough to be able to catch it. Uh-huh. But he was able to catch the bolt, and so he was able to clip himself in, and he released the ropes that were attached to Ian, and he was able to leave some of the ropes dangling in the wind, and then had enough rope to actually get him down to the ground. Oh, wow. So this would have been difficult on a good day, Uh and, you know, being covered in bee stings, and (laughs) fighting to save your life. It was a little bit harder, but he was able to pick his way down very carefully and really get him. It took him about five minutes to get down, but he said it felt like forever. I'm sure. By the time he made it down to the ground, he was nauseous and nearly delirious. Oh my God. He stumbled toward the road as a park ranger pulled up. (gasps) So that's so lucky. I know. It's like, oh, finally a little something good goes for him. Yeah. And all I can say is Ian, as he's trying to, like, motion up to his poor friend who's, you know, passed out, covered in bees up above. So they started trying to call up to him. They're calling, Ian, Ian. Nothing. They don't see any. So is Doug, like, free of bees now, or? It sounds like Doug is free of bees at this point. So they're calling up to him, and they're seeing that Ian is not Not. moving. (gasps) So Doug did the math. Uh, they had already called search and rescue, but they knew it was going to take at least an hour to get a team out time. there. Too much time. And he was just like, Ian doesn't have that much time. Yeah. So what does Doug do? He's like, fuck it. I got to go get him. <gasps> it's got to be me. There's no one else. It's 
gonna be me. And so he's like, take me back to my car. I've got more rope and gear there, and I'm gonna go get Ian. Oh my gosh. He is delirious. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't know what's going on. So Doug, with all of his gear from his car, tries to scramble back up the rocks as fast as he can. So he took a a different route Uh that was like, it kind of took him up the back of the mountain. And then he was able to rappel down to Ian. Okay. So he had the park rangers radio um, as well as sort of a mesh net that went over oh. his hat. So it's probably like a beekeeper's yeah. hat. You That's know. lucky to have. Yeah, I'm, I think the ranger had oh, it. Oh, okay. Partway up the trail, he actually ran into two other climbing friends. Oh, wow. I guess Doug knows everyone on the mountain. Apparently. Um, and he was just like, this is our rescue plan. You're going to help me. Yeah. And so now it's been about 45 minutes since the start of the bee attack. So Doug is feeling super, super nauseous. And but it didn't even cross his mind one time to ask one of these other climbers that he's run into uh-huh. to go find Ian. Oh, it's just like it has to I be got, him. it's got to be me. Yeah. You know, I'm just gonna do it. This is a wildly dangerous thing. I'll do right. it. So one of the other climbers uh, started belaying him down, so he was able to rappel down. And for about the first 45 feet, he couldn't see Ian at all. And then finally, the cliffs got steep enough that he actually could see Ian down on the ground, and he saw that he was completely motionless, and he was still covered by a blanket of bees. Oh, my gosh. They were swirling all around. And so he calls down to him. He's like, Ian! And at that point, actually... Ian looked up for a second, <gasps> so he is not passed out anymore. And I would want to be, though. All those bee stings. Are you kidding me? I can't even imagine how scary. And what Doug remembers is that Ian had that look of someone who had just been blown up or shot right. in, in combat. It's like, how could this thing have happened mm-hmm. to me? Right. It was like just pure disbelief. Mm. And he looked up for a second, and then he just put his head back down. Oh. I know, he's probably just barely making it so doug is making his way down and the bees were all over uh doug again but now he's just completely numb to him so they're still stinging him but But he's just like i don't feel it who cares i'm going to get my pal yeah so he gets down to ian he's like i'm gonna get you out of here and ian was just conscious enough to follow doug's sort of simple directions okay and so they were able to lower him down the 120 feet he needed to go to get to the ground and at that point an ambulance was just pulling up (gasps) oh thank goodness (sighs) doug watched his rangers and paramedics collected ian and then he lowered himself down as quickly as he could but by the time he got down ian was already in a helicopter and heading out to a hospital oh it was at that point that actually search and rescue arrived Oh, wow. so oh my gosh. Doug okay. has already saved his friend yeah. in the time that it took them to get there. Dang, so, man. I know the ambulance got there, like, way faster. Interesting. So Doug was like, nah, man, I'm not going to the hospital. The paramedics were like, you should probably go to the hospital. Yeah. I was like, no. What? No. I feel kind of faint, but oh, he just geez. feels, he just felt like he wasn't going to die anytime yeah. soon. So he just headed to the parking lot. Ah! He ran into two other climbers uh-huh. um, who actually had wilderness first aid training. And so Doug stripped down to his boxers and they realized like tweezers were not the best way to take all these stingers out. 
because if you go in with tweezers, it can sort of squeeze the venom sac that's oh. at the end of the stinger. Oh. And end up pumping more venom into... Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's why you never want to, like, if you get a bee sting, you never want to squeeze it to, like, try to get the uh-huh. stinger out because it's just going to squeeze all more that venom, venom right, oh. into your, right into you. And so what they ended up doing is they used credit cards to scrape down his body, sort of sloughing off all the stingers. Oh, my god! So that's the way to do it, I guess, because okay. then you just get them out without mm-hmm. pumping more of that venom in. So at the hospital with dear Ian mm-hmm. over here, the doctors estimated that he had been stung more than a thousand times <gasps> and he had a high enough dose of bee venom to yeah. be lethal. Of course. So, but he had been lucky and within a day or two, he was able to flush out all that ve- venom out of his system. Wow. And then months later, after Doug returned from Afghanistan, uh-huh. they met for another planned climb and went out on really Waco tanks. State Park. Just a different area. <laughs> yeah. So Ian uh, tried to tell Doug how much he appreciated what he had done yeah. for him. And Doug was like, nah, man, there was just no way I wasn't going to try to help you. Right. Just, that's what you do. Aww. And so he, uh, both men survived. Both men are still climbing and both men are still ballers. Oh, my god. As gosh. it turns out. That's crazy. I, I could not stay calm. When bees start singing, like, I get nervous around bees just in general. I mean, I think they're really important and, like, all bees. For are bees are great. Yeah. What the fuck ever. <laughs> when they start stinging you, like, with you, I know when you were starting to get stung with your bees, you were calmly, you just calmly, like, walked away and then walked inside your house and, yep. like, disrobed and got in the shower. But me, I'd be like, holy shit. Well, and that'll just make them sting I you know, even more. I know, but this, like, panic is just... It's just scary. I don't know. You're getting hurt, so your adrenaline's like, stop the hurt. And yeah. I don't know. I couldn't, I could not now, stay calm. We have some videos of us installing packages of bees. Uh-huh. And so when you buy a, a package of bees, it has like, has a few thousand bees inside of a box along with a queen right. that they have not gotten to know yet. Right. And so when you put them all in because they don't know the queen yet, they're not aggressive at all. So right. you can do it without gloves. You can do it without your bee suit, uh-huh. the whole thing. But I still got stung. Like you can see oh, me yeah. like, eh. <laughs> Like the video where I get stung and it's just like, turns out they don't like black. Um, And you should not wear tight clothes around them because they can just sting you right through it. So if you're wearing loose, they can't sting you because they'll just sort of sting your clothes and not actually sting into your skin. Interesting. All right. Yeah, well, and the, uh, bees don't like dark for whatever reason. That's so interesting. I had to stop wearing black, which is all I own, right. and you would go harvest honey or whatever. <laughs> yeah, because I guess like colorful is like uh, flowers, you know, but yeah. black is like. Yeah, there's something. I don't know what it is, but man, mm. they like to attack it. So I, hear... I was always wearing black. <laughs> right. I mean, I hear people die with like 10 bee stings, you know? So a thousand? That's insane. Of killer bees, yeah. not even like normal bees. Either. Right. Ugh. Man, well, they must good have been them. so like swollen and probably disfigured. I and... mean, at least take a Benadryl. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Doug, my gosh. Like... I'm going to pop a Benadryl before I go rescue my friend. Yeah, yeah, my goodness. I took a lot of Benadryl. I, I think I got stung like 30 times Ugh. or something like that. Michelle. And that was. Enough for Joel to 
come home and yeah. stay with me just to make sure I didn't have monitor some yeah just in case. didn't die from that <laughs> oh Michelle oh uh, my goodness I know we should have had a honey drink what were we I know, thinking right? I, well I had no idea I thought Most this would be a rock climbing I know you're like god damn it another fucking rock climbing thing wait did you say this pertain to the drink or no the story no no what did it pertain to you said it's kind of related to what oh no I don't remember <laughs> We'll have to listen. Go to the tape. Yeah. That's us rewinding it. Yeah. <laughs> if you know, you know. You know. What it fucking kinda... did it pertain to? I don't know. You said it, just like the last one, it kind of, okay. Sorry, well, it's gone for me. That's fair. We're going to have to, you're going to have to, when you edit it, please just tell me. I will. Yeah, I'll let you <laughs> know. Like, Bitch, we're so dumb. It was this small thing. Oh, goodness. Well, wow. That's a, that was an amazing story, Michelle. Good job. I was not expecting that. <laughs> was not, I was waiting for a fall. Yeah. We were all ready for a fall. I know. Yes. The fact that he didn't fall is incredible to well, me. Well, the fact that he just jumped. I yeah, mean, it's like, I gotta go down. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, well done, Doug and Ian. Yeah. Wait. The ballet. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> we hope Bye. you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.